The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Uh, turn me, if you would, to Psalms chapter 9. Uh, we are continuing our expositional journey through the Psalms. Um, this has been so fun for me, uh, and a lot of you that I've talked to have just gained a new appreciation uh, for this ancient book of, of poems and songs, uh, the wisdom that is timeless that we find uh, within these. And so uh, today we're going to be studying the first half of the ninth Psalm. And uh, we're going to be encountering declarations of gratitude towards God from which we will be able to draw some really crucially important principles uh, for our lives and uh, things for us to be mindful of in our walk with Jesus. So uh, looking forward to this. Let's, uh, let's read Psalm 9 together, and we're going to go verses 1 through 12, okay? Let's do it. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all all your wonders. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Praise God for his word. Amen. Uh, We're going to start back at verse 1 and and work through this, see what it is the Lord has to say to us, okay? Uh, Starting off the bat in verse 1, we we could have probably had an entire sermon just off of these first few words. They're so crucial. Uh, Here we see David say, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I think that's interesting. Uh, First of all, it, it it echoes closely uh, some very important verbiage found in the greatest commandment, right? You look in Mark 12, other places where Jesus is given an opportunity to say, what is the most important commandment? What is it that he says? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And he's echoing, of course, what we've already seen in Deuteronomy. And so it's this idea uh, of all of your heart. And I think most of us have heard that. Most of us know that's the most important commandment. But I think few of us really know how to put ourselves to the test and or uh, open ourselves up to God examining whether our love for him is an all love. If, if all of our heart is involved in that or if, if what he's got is a piece of it. Um, in one of the commentaries I read, The Treasury of David, Charles Spurgeon's work on the Psalms, one of the best commentaries on the Psalms written in history, uh, one of his comments about this is half a heart towards God is no heart at all. And so we see that principle in the way that uh, he asked for us to love him. But also we see David seeing here, uh, he's saying here, I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. And so <clears throat> what I think is important for us to remember when it comes to gratitude, because that is the, the primary theme of this psalm we see uh, described here in the first line. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. He's going to go on to say, 
uh, a lot of the things that he's thankful to God for. And so gratitude is such an imperative key in the way we approach God. Psalm 100 tells us that the way we approach the throne of God is with thanksgiving. That with, without praise and thanksgiving, without gratitude in our hearts, we will, not, we will not be able to come close to God and his presence. And so the way, the proper posture for a Christian to come before the God of the universe, yes, he's father, but also we see in this psalm, he's judge, uh, he's a righteous, holy, perfect God, and what he requires of us is gratitude, and it shouldn't be hard for us to be thankful with all of our heart. Let's, let's think about why that is. is. Is all of our heart grateful to God? When we're thankful, is it, is it, is it completely and all of our gratitude goes to God, or, or is, it, is it split up, and how can it be so uh, that, that all of us should be thankful to God, that our whole being should be a part of that. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift. And so I think part of the key for us to be able to say honestly that, God, I'm going to give you thanks with all of my heart, that all of my heart is grateful to you, is that we begin to understand that anything we count as good, anything we count as worthy, anything we would say thank you to anybody for, Actually, that ends up going to God, right? Let's think about it. A cool breeze on a summer's day. You ever, you ever walked outside? You ever been, you're, you've been outside, you're in the sun, you're sweating, or, and you walk under the shade of a tree and a cool breeze comes. You ever, just, you ever just felt like saying thank you, right? Well, who does that thanks go to? That, that, that goes to God, right? Because he's like, you know, creator of the world and the sun and the tree and the wind and all of it is the work of his hands, right? Um, some of us, man, we're so grateful for our kids. I mean, I, I, am, I am often brought to a place of gratitude just listening to my kids laugh or seeing them smile. Um, and, and what I could do is I could, I, I, could get, I could get my focus off to where all of my gratitude doesn't go to God when I start to not ultimately realize that the fact that I get to hear my kids laugh or the fact that I get to see them smile is a gift from him, because those are actually his kids, and he loaned them to me to raise on his behalf, right? And he's the creator. He's the one that thought them up. He's the one that allowed them to be born. Uh, we were involved in the process, but all of that was the work of God's hands, right? Every good thing, anything we would be thankful for, anything that we would be grateful for, ultimately is the work of God. And so we should not struggle in our lives to be grateful, right? Um, and, and it shouldn't be hard for us for all of our heart, all of our gratitude to be pointed towards God ultimately. It's, 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 it's figuring out how to see how sometimes the mundane things, some, sometimes the things we wouldn't necessarily associate directly with God. How, the question is, how does James 1.17 actually work itself out in our lives, right? How much are we noticing every good and perfect thing or how much are we focused on negative stuff? Secondly, when we understand that every good thing comes from God, ultimately is our gratitude get pointed towards him as all of my heart, all of my gratitude focused towards the God of the universe. It should be. This is also part, this, this idea of giving thanks to the Lord with all my heart, it's a part of how we love God with all of our heart, right? Because I think for most of us, if you said, if we were asked, do you love God? Yeah, of course I do. But how do we, how do we know if we're really obeying the greatest commandment to love him with all of our heart? Do we even ask ourselves that question? Do we just assume that we are? I think a lot of times we do. And I think there are ways for us to look at our life. There are ways to look at the implications of how we spend time, what it is we do, how, how our resources are poured forth, right? Um, even what consumes the, the majority of our thoughts um, to see whether or not what we're giving God is a part of our heart and not all of it. David is satisfied with nothing 
less than all of his heart being pointed in gratitude towards God. And I think we should understand that that is not only what is required, but what, what is right in light of all that God has done. You see that. In light of all that God has done, it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be difficult. I know sometimes it is, but that's because we get distracted. Sometimes it is, but that's because we get looking to the right and to the left. Uh, let's look further on. Uh, the next thing it says, I, I will tell of all your wonders. Then verse 2, I will be glad and exult in you. Same verse, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So what we see here, first he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. And then I think he gives us three implications, right? So the natural outflow of a heart that is overflowing with gratitude are these things. First of all, what does he say? I will tell of all of your wonders. And so first of all, what we see is somebody, I'm trying to help you gauge if all of your heart is pointed in gratitude towards God. I'm going to give you some things that, these are outworkings, these are an outflow of that, right? And so these are the things we'll see if our heart is fully engaged in gratitude towards God. The first is, he says, uh, because I'm thankful to you with all of my heart, I will tell of all your wonders. And so what is that? Well, that's, that's just speaking about the goodness of God, both in broad terms, what we understand about what God has done largely for all of us, right? So uh, the fact that he created us, right? The fact that he has sent Christ to die in our place for our sins, that he has a redemptive plan, that he's got good intentions toward us, that he's not only saved us, but he's willing to walk with us, that he provides for us, that all the precious promises and the goodness of God we talk about those things in broad terms. He's saying, I'm going to tell, I'm thankful to you, God. All of my heart, all of my gratitude is pointed towards you. I realize every good thing comes from you. And so I'm going to tell people about it. Right? And so sometimes I think for us, it's like we have a hard time figuring out how do we, how do we talk about Jesus? How do we talk about our faith out, outside of kind of the, the Christian bubble, right? When we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to the places where the, the focus of the gathering of the people is not on the goodness of God, right? How do I get that there? Well, one of the ways is we just talk about how good God is. We talk about the things we know that he's done. So big picture stuff, but also super powerful and things we can't forget to do is also talk about what in the grand scheme of things might seem like little things, little personal things that God has done for us. And that's what we're going to see David start to do as he moves through the psalm, as he starts with, specific things that God has done for him in his life that he's noticed, right? So he's got this idea. He understands all of my gratitude belongs to God. Every good thing comes from him. And so it's changed his vision and perspective. So as he's moving through life, he's interpreting things different than maybe we do sometimes. He's, when a good thing happens, instantly his heart is bent towards God in gratitude. And so it's not a struggle for him. And so he's got, he's got a long list. And, and really, most people say that Psalm 9 and 10 actually go together uh, that would make a, a pretty long psalm. Uh, it got split up at some time, and there's a clean breaking point, so we're just going to roll with the way it is in most of our Bibles. But uh, he's got a lot to say about how thankful he is to God. And so one of the natural outflows of a heart that is overflowing with gratitude is that we will tell others. He, he says, I'm going to tell of all your wonders. And so do you have, like the prophet of old, man, a fire in your bones? Is it, is it hard for you to not talk about the goodness of God in everyday situations? Or is it something that you would have to be prodded for? What am I doing? I'm trying to give you a, a bit of a litmus test. I'm, I'm giving you something, a grid to work off of and assessing, is all of your heart bent in gratitude towards God? Because I think that is the only proper response for how good he is and what he's done for us. So first of all... Um, Somebody giving thanks to the Lord with all their heart, they're going to they're gonna talk about him. They're going to talk about the big things God has done and the personal things God has done. The second is, he says, I will be glad and exult in you. So simply, 
those who have a heart of gratitude bent towards God, that, that all of their heart is set in gratitude and, and thankfulness to the God of the universe, are, are going to be people of joy. Now, does that mean that we never ever have a tough time? Does that mean we never are struggling? No, not at all. Uh, we've been in the Psalms, right? So we know that that's not true. We know that uh, what, what the truth of the Scriptures does and, and what the truth of the Gospel does is allows us to be honest about struggles, yet always be able to end those prayers with or end those conversations with, but I'm trusting in the Lord because He's proven Himself faithful. So we, we may struggle, but we're not hopeless, right? And so uh, that's, that's maybe the primary lesson we've pulled out of the, this collection of Psalms we've been working in the last few weeks. Uh, but the reality is, he says that uh, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. He's going to tell of all his wonders, and he says, I will be glad and exalt in you. And so joy, a disposition of joy, um, and that doesn't, that's different than happiness. Joy is rooted in things that never change. Joy comes from God. Joy is, it, it's, got, it's got roots down in the living water of the truth of the word, and so it never, ever runs dry, right? Happiness kind of comes and goes. It fades with circumstance. Some days, you know, if, if your life is based upon happiness and you don't have a root of joy that comes from gratitude towards God, you'll kind of be blown around by whatever's going on in the day, right? If, it's, if everything's going your way, then it's a happy day, right? I'm having a good day. If everything's not going my way, I'm having a bad day. And I'm, I'm, not saying you, I'm not saying you never have a day where things don't go your way, but when, you're, when your heart and life is rooted in, in joy and your gratitude is rooted in things that never change, no matter what the day's going like, then, then you're not blown about as far. You're rooted to something, and that's the goodness of God. That's the faithfulness of God. That's the power of God, the mercy of God. And if, if that's where your joy comes from, the fact that you know God made you. You know God loves you. You know that Jesus died in your place for your sins. You know that his promises to you are true. Then the winds may come, the storm may come, but you're not getting blown very far. You're not moving very much. Joy is an anchor for the soul, and we need those. Because can we be honest? Is life hard sometimes? You guys are all having a really easy week. Okay, good. I'll, I'll just say it. Life's hard sometimes. Sometimes, man, I feel like them storms that blew through last week, man, sometimes I feel like those trees that were straining to hold to the earth that they're connected to, man, but I'm telling you what, the tethers of joy and gratitude held down into the living water of the truth of the word of God, they do not break, no matter how hard that storm blows. And I've gone through some, y'all, and I know some of you have too. Praise God, we stand. And it's not by our strength, it's by his. Joy is our strength. And it comes out of, it flows out of a life that is centered in gratitude towards God. Gratitude is key. Third thing he says is, I will sing praise to your name, uh, O Most High. And so uh, in another place, Psalm 34, David said, his, his praises will be continually on my lips. And I know some of you are concerned that if you were to walk around and just sing songs to the Lord all day, it might not glorify him um, because of your singing voice. But don't worry about that. The bottom line is, um, you know, most of us have a song in the background somewhere of our mind most of the time, and my question to you is just, like, like how often do you find yourself so overcome with gratitude to God that, that, that you've, you've got a song in your heart towards Him, a song of gratitude and thankfulness? How often do you, do you find yourself spontaneously singing to God outside of the gathering of God's people? And, I, and I'm not saying you have to carry a show tune everywhere you go in order to, you know, obey this, but, um, you know, 
some of that music that's kind of in our heart as we go throughout our week and whatever, it, it, it should be songs of worship to God. We should, um, I mean, singing people are happy people, typically. And so our songs should be focused on declaring God's goodness. And uh, David says that's part of, of what it means for him um, to give thanks to the Lord with all of his heart, that all of his heart is grateful to God. And so the next thing that happens in, in verses 3 through 6 is that uh, David is now testifying specifically about why he's so grateful to God, and it's because God has defeated his enemies. So let's look at that together, verses 3 through 6. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities, the very memory of them has perished. So David is thankful that God has fought for him. Uh, verse 6, this is, I don't know if this would hit us the way it would hit an ancient reader, and so I just want to explain a little bit. Verse 6, it talks about the very memory of them has perished. And, and I don't know if that means a whole lot to us, but uh, really what's being said there, and this echoes something we've heard throughout some of the other Psalms, is that God does not win halfway. Ancient cultures cared very much that they would be remembered and how they would be remembered. Uh, I think they understand, they understood maybe better than we do that, the, that most, there's not a perpetual promise of cultures continuing, right? They understood that cultures rise and fall for all kinds of factors and reasons, and so they had this idea, they understood that probably there was going to be a point where they were going to be remembered as opposed to existing in their current state, and so it mattered very much to them. Uh, and many times when one kingdom conquered another, they would destroy all the literature and art and anything that would cause that culture to be remembered for what they were, how they were distinct. Um, and it, that was a crushing blow to them. The language here in Hebrew, when it talks about uh, the very memory of them has perished, it's like taking a cuneiform tablet and, and, and scraping it clean, taking all of the writing off of it so that anything that was there chiseled in would be, would be wiped clean and, and forgotten. Uh, this would have been the worst fate imaginable for those who were defeated, and it was a show of absolute dominance by the one doing the defeating. When you come and you not only, you not only whoop them, but you erase them from the histories, essentially, by taking and, and completely erasing their culture, um, that's, that's a dominant defeat by the victor. The point here, and why David is rejoicing in this, it sounds kind of mean. Most of us are like, oh, that's sad. But... The point here is that God makes our enemies his enemies, and his enemies don't stand a chance. Did you hear what I said? God makes our enemies his enemies, and his enemies don't stand a chance. And David's happy about it, right? Because what does that mean? That means, now I don't have to fight, God's going to fight, and I just get to revel in his victory. Now, some of you, because you're Bible scholars, you're going, hold on, this seems like a contradiction. This could seem a little bit confusing, right? Because doesn't Jesus tell us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, right? That sounds a little bit different than running in town, pillaging the thing, and burning your library, right? That's, that doesn't quite stack up. So what, what's the deal? Good. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you're thinking through this with me. In David's time, in the time that this was written, God was doing a specific thing with the nation of Israel in this place, in this time. He was dealing with them as a nation, and they were the chosen instrument to bring about his plan of redemption, right? God first calls Abraham almost out of nothing, right? And he says, here's what I need you to do, and you're going to have to trust me. 
And he does. Just It's wild. Abraham's like, yeah, you know what? Yes, I'm old, but I believe that you're going to make my wife pregnant. And I believe that you're telling me that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed because I'm going to have seed that counts more than the stars and the sand on the seashore. Uh, that's wild, but I'm going to believe it. And God's like, I'm going to work with this guy. And so out of his loins, man, comes, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Then, then everybody goes to Egypt, right? Joseph delivers them, and then out, Moses calls them out, right? You remember the history. You know how it goes, right? That, that leads us up to this point in this time with, with David. And so God was doing something specific with those people in that time. He dealt with them as a nation. They were his chosen instrument. But Jesus comes and shifts the paradigm because he's the next step in the plan. He's not undoing what God was doing. It's just that that's the course of action, right? God chose Israel to be the ones that he used to you know, work his redemptive plan. And then you got you know, on down through the judges, the kings, and then the prophets. And then Jesus is born. It was all part of the plan. But when Jesus came, the paradigm shifted. Instead of God's people being the physical descendants of Abraham... It is now those who trust God by faith, as Abraham did, who belong to God and are his children. This is why Christians don't wage war on nations, right? We don't have our own stockpile of artillery as kind of the, the Christian army, right? And when some nation does something we don't like, we all get together, you know, with our helmets with crosses and go to war. We don't do that. Uh, we don't wage war on other nations. We, as God's people, are not a country. We are the people of God who come from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so it's, it's different now. And what that means is, Ephesians 6 now tells us that our battle as followers of Jesus is not against flesh and blood. So our enemies, it's, it's not the same as what David was dealing with. Uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood as followers of Jesus, but that doesn't mean that we don't have enemies. We need to understand that we are at war and God has made our enemies his enemies. Those enemies are sin and death. So praise God. Ultimately, what I'm trying to get at, what I'm trying to get you to see is, David was thankful that God, anybody that would stand up to God's plan of redemption, anybody that would stand up and say, I'm going to defy God's people, I'm going to defy God by defying God's people, God laid waste to them. He didn't just win, he won big time, wiped, wiped their histories away. They're in utter ruin forever, right? But we're not, we're not, our enemies today that God has made his enemies, they're not... They're not the same. And so we need to get just as excited, though, that our enemies will be laid to waste the way David's were, right? And so the fact that sin and death are going to be knocked down to where they're in utter ruin, the fact that they're going to be knocked down to where they're not even a memory, the fact that one day we know, man, when all is said and done, sin and death, their reign is over, and they'll, we'll not even have a thought of them as we stand and we bask in the glory of the unveiled face of Christ. One day we won't even be worried about all of that. The, the, the days of temptation and sin will be gone. And it's not just then that we have that victory. God is willing to exert that power even now to help us fight our enemies. And so we should be thankful for that. Sin and death don't stand a chance. The death blow has already been dealt to them, right? And, and it's amazing how God does stuff because, we, we, and we talked about this in a previous song, but it has to be brought up in this context. God uses what everyone else would see as weak to totally destroy strongholds and enemies, right? How did sin and death lose? By Jesus, who seemed weak and meek, who seemed like he got dominated by the enemy, by him submitting himself humbly to death on a cross, and then rising from death, and the back of sin and death being broken as he rose forth from the grave. In humility, he went to battle. 
God used something that nobody, that the enemy didn't see coming. The truth of the gospel, the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ is how he dealt the death blow to our enemies of sin and temptation and death. And I'm thankful for that. Thankful that God does things in a way that uh, we wouldn't. We must begin to deal with our sins and temptations by the power of God, laying waste to them, leaving them in utter ruins, crushing them into dust so that even their memory is wiped from history. How do we do that? We need to realize that God is on our side every single time against sin and temptations, and he doesn't lose. I've said a lot, but let's just make sure no one leaves the room without this basic premise. You guys understand God doesn't lose. Is everybody on that train? Everybody got that? Let me just make sure you're awake and you at least understand that much. Put your hand in the air if you know that God, who created everything, who said, let there be light, and there was light, that he doesn't lose. Everyone's got that premise? Okay, good. You may still be iffy on whether or not he's going to jump in and fight for you because of what Jesus did and because now you're his son or daughter. We'll work on that, but first of all, let's just, let's just get it plain. That anybody so foolish is to stand up to the God who spoke all of what exists into existence that they get laid to waste, that they get left in utter ruins, they get left in a pile of ash, and they're done for, and even their history is blotted out, right? Stand up to God, you lose. Woo, and that's why I'm on his team. Come on. And I'm telling you, the same way that David spends a significant part of this, part of this psalm saying, God, I am thankful that you have fought my enemies for me, that because you love me and you call me your son, that you stood in and you fought on my behalf, the very same way he's making that declaration, I'm telling you, son and daughter of God, you get to do that as well. You may not be walking that victory. You may not be walking in the faith that allows you to have that kind of gratitude that would fuel thankfulness in all of your life, but I'm telling you, you could. Your enemies don't stand a chance because if you're a child of God, let, let me ask you something, parents. If somebody steps up and wants to hurt your kid, what team are you on? You're going to stand aside? You're going to have to think about it, right? No. Somebody comes up and wants to hurt my kids. God Almighty, help them, right? Because I will find a three-headed horse and ride through and just lay everything to waste. <laughs> Don't mess with my kids. And, and, I'm, and I'm an imperfect dad with imperfect love. God doesn't mess around, and he's on your side. Sin and death don't stand a chance if you'll trust that what he says is true. And then be thankful for it. David is thanking God. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we begin to deal with our sins and temptations by the power of God? How do we participate in laying waste to them? We realize God is on our side every single time against sin and temptation. That's first. We got to believe he's with us and he'll fight for us. We know he doesn't lose. Secondly, we have to stay constantly grateful for the fact that Jesus will fight for us even when many times we switch sides in the middle of the battle. Mm, That's the problem for some of us, isn't it? Some of us are having a hard time believing that Jesus is going to fight for us because half the time we don't know which side we're on. Right? Half the time we're going back and forth. Half the time we're double-minded about what we're doing. Half the time we know God's convicted us about something, but we're just going to, I just, well, I just, just let me keep this in, Jesus. I just want this one. Right? Just let me keep this little part of my life over here. Don't mess with here. Here's all the rest, but let me keep this. Right? We got our, we got our little security blankets type stuff, and, and when we're doing that, yes, that does get in the way of, of God bringing that, that utter decimation to our enemies that leaves us in a place of victory and thankfulness. And so, 
we do have to quit doing that, but here's the beauty of the mercy of God. It doesn't matter how many times in the middle of the battle you've switched back and forth, you, you've, you've put on the enemy's armor and you're actually fighting against God trying to, keep, trying to keep the sin going, right? He's willing to receive you back, man. That's The prodigal son tells us that. He left, but, but that father in that story, man, he stood and he waited and he was ready when the son returned. And so if you're done, if you're done today fighting both sides of the battle line, if you're done, if you're exhausted, if you're, if you're ready to really see what it looks like to surrender to God completely and totally, take all of those things even the ones, the deep, dark, secret ones that you've been hiding from everybody so you thought God knows about it and he wants it. He wants to take it from you. Not because he wants to take away something good from you. He wants to give you something better, friend. He never asks you to set something down without having something a whole lot better to put in its place. And so quit fighting both sides of the battle. That's exhausting, right? Because then all you're ever doing is fighting all the time. Pick a side. Pick the winning side. It's easy. Today I set before you life and death. What do he say? Choose life. This, this is, you, don't even, you don't even have to be an open book test for this one. This is easy. Choose life. Choose God's side. He's going to win. We already know the end of the book. Praise God. This is an easy choice. Hallelujah. I guess my point in saying that is quit, quit putting limits on the mercy of God. Quit deciding that... Um, You've screwed up too many times. You can't imagine that God would fight for you one more time. Um, the mercy of God is incredible. It's not something we should play with. It's not something that we should, um, you know, premeditate sins and, and, and do something and say, oh, well, I know God will forgive me afterwards. You're getting real scary there. Don't do that. Don't, uh, Hebrews 10 says, don't, don't trample upon the, the, the spirit of grace. Don't do that. Don't, don't treat the mercy of God as a common thing. However, um, if you've found yourself convinced somehow that God was done with you, uh, you don't get to make that call. The king of glory does. And his constant beckoning call to you is come. I love you. I want to fight for you. Let's win. Amen. All right, seven and eight. This is going to be fun. But the Lord abides forever. I'm thankful he's not expiring He'll be king and God forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity or fairness. Here's something I think is interesting. What, what is Psalm 9? What do we say Psalm 9 is? Overall, it's a declaration of gratitude. David is saying, I'm super thankful to God for everything. All of my heart is bent in gratitude towards God. So because of that, I'm going to tell everybody how good he is. I'm going to sing songs about how good he is. I'm going to have joy in all, all types of situations. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to be full of gratitude. And he, and he goes to say, thank God for destroying my enemies and for showing himself glorious and powerful. He's still saying things he's thankful for. The Lord abides forever. We're on that one. I'm thankful God's eternal. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. I think sometimes we struggle to be thankful for all of the character of God. I think sometimes we're really super thankful that God is loving, right? That one's easy. Yay, loving God. That sounds cool. Um, we're thankful that God is powerful. That's good, right? Because we're on his team and we, we are glad he can do whatever he wants to do because he's sovereign God. Um, we're thankful that he's holy. We're thankful even that he's perfect. But when it starts to get to judge, that God judges righteously, we start to go, well, that's Old Testament. You know, <laughs> flip. Well, let's get, let's find different pages, right? 
Let's find the happy God. Let's go, go to Matthew, right? Um, here's the problem with that. I, I see David here s- describing in, in really expressive language how thankful he is for God the judge. Now, God is Father, and that is the way we are most prevalently invite, invited to relate to him throughout the scriptures as, as Father, but he is also judge, and we need to be equally thankful that he is a righteous judge as we are that he is a loving Father. Okay, how does that work, right? Um, and, and furthermore, just verse 8, I want, I want to give you proof that um, we shouldn't leave judging God in the Old Testament. Oh, that's back when God was angry. Jesus came and cleared up the fact that God's not really that mad. Uh, that's, that's not what happened. God is as much a righteous judge today, post-resurrection, as he was in the time of David. Uh, God is a righteous judge. He has um, established his throne for judgment. Whoo! He's got a judge's chair, and he's going to dole out equitable, righteous judgment for all of eternity. Mm, I'm happy about it. Here's how you get happy about it. Yes, he's a judge. Oh, I'm proving to you that it belongs in the New Testament as well. How many of you remember Paul, Acts 17, he goes to Mars Hill, also known as the Areopagus. What was he doing there? He's on a missionary trip, right? So he goes there, and he's essentially bringing the gospel to people that have heard very little about it or nothing at all. And so he's standing in this kind of pantheon. Uh, you know, he's, he starts out by saying, you know, I, I saw that you guys have an idol to the unknown God. I'm here to tell you who that God is. He's the one and only God, right? So he's laying down some, some straight up truth on your plate. Paul's good at that. Part of what he does, so he's, he's preaching the gospel for the first time to a bunch of people that have barely heard it or, 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 or heard it not at all. He quotes Psalm 9-8 to him. Go look at it later. He starts talking about that God's going to judge the world in righteousness at an appointed time. Now, most of us today, in our evangelistic theory of, of how to tell people about the gospel, we, I mean, we would be, we'd be in tears if somebody started talking about the judgment of God and trying to tell somebody about Jesus. I'm just saying to you, Paul was doing what we're supposed to be doing and felt very, very comfortable saying, God's going to judge the world in righteousness, friends. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do with that? Now, here's, here's the deal. Jesus came and made it so that you don't have to be on the wrong side of that judgment. You can, by grace, through faith, in the finished work of Christ, you can be judged righteous, not on your own merits, but because you'll be included in the righteousness of Christ through faith. But saying judgment's not a bad word. Paul felt like preaching to a bunch of pagans at the Areopagus that he could talk about Psalm 9-8, and that absolutely applied in what he was trying to do win souls, and let people know there's hope in Christ. Part of what he was doing, he was telling them the bad news, right? And that's a big conviction for us here, that for decades, maybe a century or more, we've, <laughs> we've created a precious moments gospel, man. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. People hear that so much, man, they don't understand that it's an absolute miracle that God loves them. They need to understand first that what every single one of us deserves is the righteous judgment of God that would cause separation forever. That, the wages of sin is death, man, and that's where all of us find ourselves before we receive the incredible gracious mercy that allows us to be loved as sons and daughters of God. And that's Paul was, Paul was just preaching the gospel faithfully. We, have to, we can't squirm in our seat when somebody starts talking about the judgment of God. We have to be able to say with a smile on our face that God is a righteous judge. And he has a right to be a righteous judge. Here, here's part of why. 
Here's part of why we can rejoice in God the judge. It's not a bad thing because even in his judgment, there's this, there's this, un, there's this unbelievably scandalous view of his love, right? Because it's, it, it's like this. Just, just imagine that you, you somehow committed a murder. Let's just say you, you lost your mind somehow and, and you, you committed a murder and you're in the courtroom, right? And there's, there's a long trial, every, back and forth, prosecution, defense. It's time for the verdict. Juror stands up. Guilty, all the way across the board. This is murder in the first degree, the death penalty. That's what you're going to get, and you're hit with it, right? That's the verdict. What, what we see God the judge do, by sending Christ, the second person of the Trinitarian Godhead, down to take the punishment that we deserve, it's essentially the judge in your courtroom. You did the murder. They found you guilty. It's without a shadow of a doubt. The judge says, okay, that's the verdict. They're guilty. But I tell you what, I'm looking at them, and I've listened to their testimony, and I feel like they're genuinely repentant about it, and I can't see them put to death over this. So here's what I'm going to do. He stands up, takes off his judge's robe, and says, you go ahead and strap me up. I'll take the punishment. You go ahead and kill me instead. Let them go. I think there's hope for them. How, that, that's why the gospel doesn't make sense. How many times do you think that's happened in human history? Let's go through the history books. How many judges have stood up and said, you know what? I've come to love that guy. I know he committed a murder, but I, I love him, and I care for him, and I believe he truly uh, has repented of it. And, and, and so I'm, justice has to be served. A price has to be paid. A great fault, a great sin has been committed. So somebody's going to have to pay for it, but I'm gonna t- I'll, I'll do it. I'll take it. That's why God as judge is still beautiful. Because <laughs> he's a judge that took the punishment. He had to hand down the punishment to be righteous, right? If that judge in that courtroom heard all of that evidence and the jurors stood up and said, yeah, you know what? It's undeniable. He's guilty. And that judge says, you know what? Bang, bang, bang on the gavel. Yeah, I heard all that, but we're just going to dismiss it. Is that ju- has justice been served? No. That's wrong. Somebody's got to pay a price. Somebody's got to pay. It should have been us. But God the righteous judge put himself in the hot seat. God the righteous judge put himself in the place of every single one of us that deserve that. That's why even as righteous judge over all of, of the earth and over all of eternity, God is still almost inconceivably loving. That's why the gospel is so scandalous. It's, it's beautiful and it's amazing. Even as judge, he is loving us. And, and you might say, yeah, that's great. So the Christians, the judge steps in for the Christians, but he doesn't for the non-Christians. How's that work? Well, here's, here's the thing, friends. Let's just talk about righteous judgment. If, if that's the scenario, you commit the murder, you're sentenced to death, the judge says, I can't see that. I have the authority, I have the power, I'm going to take the punishment, let him go. And then, and then you, the defendant, says, you know what? Yeah, I know that, I know, okay, I know they killed him, but I don't really want to, I don't really want that. Go ahead and kill me too. Is that the judge's fault? That's not the judge's fault. That, that's the person's fault. And if they, if they decide then that they, they also want to follow into that destruction when someone's made a way that they don't have to, is the judge less loving? Is, is it less of a miracle what the judge did? Not at all. And so the fact that God is holy, perfect, righteous judge is not divorced from his love. God's mercy and love, his incredible compassion upon us, and his justice were able to embrace at the cross and both be fully satisfied.
And that is beautiful. Uh, Verses 9 and 10 says, The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Uh, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Uh, We see this as a common theme. I thought it was really interesting. We did not in any way collaborate um, on this, but the the song we sung today, uh, talking about, um, you know, that that God is a refuge. God is a a place that we can find safety. Um, We see commonly David having this, this expression and this thankfulness for the fact that in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of oppression, the Lord is a stronghold. The Lord is a safe place that we can run to him and be safe. And I don't know, the only way that isn't precious to you, the only way that doesn't endear you towards the Lord, the only way that that doesn't increase for you gratitude towards the goodness and the mercy and, and the very, just the wonder of, of the goodness of God is if, if you're not taking advantage of that, right? Like the only way you're not enamored with the fact that in the midst of trouble, you can run to God and he is like a stronghold that will protect you and keep you safe. Um, sometimes we don't do it. Sometimes like God is there. He's willing. He's beckoning us. Come, come and find safety and shelter. And, and, and we're like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to run around out here in the middle of the storm and just do it, do it on my own. And then we get hit in the head with a flying brick or whatever else happens in the storm. Like, oh, God, why didn't you help me? You know, come on, child. I was here all along. Um, I've said hundreds and hundreds of times in my word, just come to me, trust me, find, find safe shelter in me. Um, and so when we sing about that, think about, man, think about times of trouble. Think, think about times of difficulty and think about the fact that God has declared himself to be a strong tower, a safe place you can run to, a stronghold. But no matter what enemy will come against you, they're not getting past his gate, right? If God, if God draws a boundary and says this far and no more, what do you think's coming past that line? Nothing. I'm thankful that's true because sometimes I need to run to Father God. I just need to rest, man. I need to be in that strong tower of safety that is his presence. And I'm thankful that he offers that to us. It says, those who know your name, they will put their trust in you. It seems, like this, it seems like this equation, right? Like two plus two, it always equals four. Like if we have been exposed to the beauty of the power of the name of Christ and we know who God is, we know how good he is, that it just, it just doesn't even make sense. It doesn't seem like there should be a possibility for us in the midst of difficulty to not trust him. And that's why we have to continually and always contemplate the incredible goodness of his character, the totality. We have to be thankful all the time. We should constantly be filling our minds like like, like a merry-go-round, just over and over again, viewing from different sides how good God is, how powerful God is, how loving God is, how merciful he is, how just he is, and over and over again being enamored yet again and again and again with how good he is. And then it's so easy when the hard thing comes for us to move directly to trusting him because we are full to the brim with gratitude for the amazing nature of our God, the incomparable greatness of our Savior King. Amen. You missed a super good spot to say amen right there. I just figured I'd start letting you know where they are. You'll get it eventually. Amen. Thankful that's a common theme in the Psalms. Um, that he's a stronghold we can, we can run to. Uh, it says, you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So thankful. So thankful. 
thankful even uh, he'll come and seek us. Because sometimes we're not smart enough to come seek him. Verse 11. Uh, verse 11 and 12, we'll take that together. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds, for he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Sing praises to the Lord. He's again just declaring that God is worthy of our praise. Uh, declaring among the people his deeds. Again, this idea that in the midst of gratitude, we, it's not just something we keep to ourselves. We don't just... We don't just sit and think about how good God is and giggle to ourselves, right? Like what should happen is that that should it, it involuntarily should flow out of us, man. People shouldn't be able to bump into you without getting a story about something good God has done. Whether it's just the fact that he saved you from your wretched past. He saved you from, a, from eternal damnation. He saved you from the, all of the destructive tendencies that you had that were leading you down a path of absolute hellacious torture even if so, it's that big picture stuff, or it's you know what? I prayed yesterday and I was down to the last 10 bucks in my account and I needed 20 to pay a bill. And guess what? God sent somebody out of nowhere, handed me 10 bucks. Now, I don't know if that's not happened for you lately or whatever, but I, I guarantee you, if I open the floor, there's hundreds of stories in a room this size where you know what? Down to the last hour, the midnight hour, God showed up and did something that, that, that blew my mind. And so what I'm saying, friends, is we, that stuff, there's a lot we can think about. There's a lot we can focus on. There's so many things. There's information and data just it, 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 in unbelievable amounts being forced upon us. I get that. And you got to deal with that. But also what we got to do all the time is set our eyes and our minds upon the goodness of God. We need to contemplate constantly whatever it takes for us to think about his goodness so that we are in an in ever just a permanent state of gratitude so that if somebody comes up and pokes you, man, they can't do that without getting a story about how good God is. If we are Christians, man, if we have been saved by grace, if we have countless stories amongst us of the goodness and the faithfulness of God, which we do, how are people getting by us, man, without hearing something good about how God is? Hearing something about how good God is, that's what I meant to say, right? Sometimes words are hard. That's what I'm saying, man. If somebody stands still next to you long enough for you to say anything to them, get the hi, how you doing out of the way, and then tell them something good about Jesus, man. There's so much. And I think, so, for, if, if that's not happening, that's one of the ways we started at the beginning by saying, he starts out at the beginning, I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. So if all of our heart is not saturated completely with gratitude to the God of the universe as it should be, then it, it probably, we won't have this automatic outflow of, man, if, 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 you, if you got a pitcher of water filled all the way to the brim, man, you poke that thing, some water spills out, right? Our heart should be so full of gratefulness and, and thankfulness to God that if somebody bumps us, man, they should get some, they should get some on them. Woo! Right? And so what does it mean? Friends, so this is, this is good for us to let the Word of God work upon us and let the Word of God bring us to the, the implication. If that's not happening, if people bump into you and they're more prone to get a story about what you're grumpy about, or they're more prone to get whatever else we got going on, right? If there's a lot of bumping happening and, and not a lot of stories of how grateful we are to Jesus for how good he's been, then what does that say about the condition of our heart? How full is our heart? How saturated is our heart with gratitude? 
what do we do, right? So we don't get bummed about it. We realize if that's the case, if that's the implication, if we're examining our own lives by the power of the Spirit right now, in this moment, we're letting the Word of God teach us and show us what it should look like to be somebody that is enraptured and their whole heart consumed with gratitude and love for God. We're seeing what that picture looks like. We're realizing maybe that doesn't line up in our lives. We've been given the blueprint here for what to do. We don't go, oh, I'm a bad Christian, okay? No, we, we just... Begin to think upon, meditate upon, let our thoughts be consumed with what it is God has done, the good things he's done, the reasons why it is we are grateful. And so that at any moment and at all times, man, we we are a spokesperson for the goodness, the justice, the mercy, the beauty, the magnificence, the splendor, the power, the love, the incredible nature of the God we serve. Praise God. That's, that's what ambassadors of Christ look like. People should have a heart. Man, if, if somebody really hates Jesus, you should bother them. And I'm not saying, you know, <laughs> I'm, not saying, don't, I'm not saying be annoying. I'm just saying you may annoy somebody, and that's not your problem. <laughs> if God's good and you're thankful, man, and they're going to hear about it, um, you know, and people may react to you all different kinds of ways, some people may say amen. Some people may say shut up. You, you don't know, man. But it doesn't really change what we do. It doesn't change the fact that even if they say something angry in response to our grateful outpouring about the goodness of God, we know that God takes those seeds and can do something different with it. We don't have to, we're not responsible for the reaction in the moment. Uh, all we need to know is we've been faithful to do what it is God's called us to do, to be people of gratitude, to be people that because we're grateful, we're willing to tell as many people as possible about his wonders. And when we do that, we know that the story of the gospel broadly and the story of his faithfulness in our lives in particular, this is one of the primary ways that God uses to to get the message of his goodness to the world, right? He's going to overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So guys, we got to brush up on our testimony. We need to know our own story better. We need to remember the times that Jesus has been faithful. Man, we need to bust those journals out and read them again. We need to bust out something and write a journal, right, if we haven't. You know, uh, one of the greatest convictions of my life is that I've let things, I know there's times that I've not written things down and I've, my memory has failed me and, 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 and something that God has done or said to me has faded into obscurity and now I don't have that in my, in my tackle box of things to share with somebody that, to, so that they can know how thankful I am for how good Jesus is. That's terrible. I don't want to do that. I want to, I, I, wanna, I mean, I want to have a deep roster. Of, of things that I'm grateful for, things that I'm thankful to God for. Um, and, and even if somebody's a, just a total curmudgeon, uh, God will still use your, your faithful declaration of your gratitude to him. Um, they, they may react violently or, or, or angrily in the moment, but um, you can be sure that, that God is working on that person as well. And, and when, they, when they lay it down that night, when they put that head on that pillow, um, and they got to deal with the inner monologue. It's going to come up. It's going to come up. Uh, verse 12 is interesting. <laughs> it says, For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Um, again, we need to be thankful for every part of God's character. God's the one that said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Right? So God actually um, does take vengeance. And does it perfectly. And David's thankful that he says, the one who requires blood remembers them. He will not forget the cry of the afflicted. So, again, 
when unrighteousness is done, when wicked men uh, or, or the enemies of God's kids in, in, in any form, uh, when they're doing their work, God doesn't forget. Uh, he's got a better memory than an elephant, man. And he's coming, and he's going to take vengeance. vengeance. You can be sure vengeance will be doled out, and it comes from God. How is that something we can be thankful for? Because that doesn't even... It doesn't sound like precious moments, Jesus. That doesn't sound like the nice, loving God that I've come to learn about. Well, his vengeance is absolutely out of his love. And the reason God can take vengeance and we can't, and it actually is an incredible freedom for us that vengeance is his, because if he'll take care of it, I don't have to. And that's super good, right? Because natural inclination is, uh, if somebody does me wrong, uh, I need to do them wrong, and, and probably a little bit more. That gets totally wiped away. I can step back from the situation and just glory in God's power and promise that he'll handle it, um, and, and he can do that, and then I don't have to deal with bitterness and unforgiveness and all the things that will totally wreck my life. Um, and so that's good. God's vengeance is a freedom for us. But God gets to take vengeance, and we don't because he's perfect. Think about this. Only somebody who's completely holy and perfect can really be safe taking vengeance on somebody or taking vengeance in any situation because if we were to take vengeance, it's going to be tainted by our imperfection. Can we be totally sure uh, the, the vengeance we dole out is of proper measure? Can we be totally sure that the vengeance we dole out, um, we don't actually deserve? Like, how are we not hypocritical anytime we take vengeance? Like, somebody stole from me. Oh, you've never stole? Let me tell you something. I, I need to call the middle school I went to in California and return probably $50 with a BMX bicycle magazines that I used to stick in my folder. I've stole. I like BMX bikes. We're looking at me like that. I've repented. You bunch of holy rollers, like you've never stole something. I bet. I'm just saying, how, how do you ever take vengeance and not be hypocritical? I mean, what Jesus, you know, he without sin cast the first stone, right? We, we don't get to take vengeance because we are imperfect. We, the only way we're counted righteous is because God has saw fit by his mercy to allow us by faith to be included in what it is Christ has done. And so faith is what makes us righteous, but we do not get to take vengeance. God does. And I'm just glad that all of the responsibility of handing out justice is on him. I don't have to be God's agent of justice. All I got to do is love him and be thankful for him and just revel in the fact that he is glorious and merciful and loving. And actually what that allows me to do, if I realize that I don't get to exact vengeance because I actually deserve vengeance, it allows me also to do what it is Jesus has told me to do, which is when somebody does me wrong, it, it actually allows me to understand that I'm not that much unlike them and I should pray for them. And I should have compassion on them. And I should understand they're probably driven by fears and all kinds of other things that cause them to act the way they act. And so ultimately, um, it gets to this really twilight zone-ish weird place as far as our world is concerned where Christian people end up caring for uh, the people that persecute them, end up loving the people that do them wrong, end up wanting the best for somebody that, that does bad against them because we're following the steps of a Savior King that submitted himself to death on a cross to save the people that nailed him there. Like, it, what? That's my king. That's my king. That's my master. I'm following him. And so I, I, I don't get to run around in exact vengeance. I, I don't get to hold grudges. I get to be merciful. I get to take it to his feet and trust he'll handle it. And, and, and what he may do is he, he may draw them to himself and, and give them mercy. And I'm going to rejoice in that. That instead of vengeance, they got mercy too. 
and that they're going to get to spend eternity with me declaring the majesty of the king that saved us both. Right? Praise God for that. But, but for those who refuse, those who just keep on, <laughs> um, vengeance is his. And he's going to handle it. He gets to because he's perfect, but the greatest part about that is that we don't have to. Some of you, it will be hard for you, and it was for me. It took a very specific, difficult situation, and it took a very uh, direct word from God for me to finally understand this premise in my own life. Um, but I could take you to the spot where it happened, and I could show you as my foot hit the ground where God spoke to me and dropped me to a knee and, and told me, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, and I had to make a choice because I was, I was in vengeance mode. I was going to handle it. I had a plan. God shook me, dealt with me, and uh, I'm so thankful that he did. Some of you are going to have a hard time letting go of you. You feel like you're the death dealer, right? You feel like you're the vengeance getter, um, and a lot of that is pride. That's what it was for me, I know, um, because I, I let Satan whisper in my ear this type of stuff like, oh, they, 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 it's the wrong one, man. They messed with the wrong one today. I'm going to be the one. These guys won't do this again. They're going to find out. This type of, I'm just telling you what was going on in my head. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, this guy's supposed to be a preacher. <laughs> I'm just trying to be honest with you, man. We could, we can, I mean, we could do Candyland fake time in here where I can tell you the truth, right? <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. This is where I was at. And, and, um, <clears throat> and I was, I was going to do something to him. And God dealt with me, and he taught me that vengeance is his. And I promise you, um, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but uh, he... He did exact vengeance as soon as I returned it to him. As soon as I laid it down and said, yes, Lord, okay, I get it. If I keep on the path I'm headed on, it's going to be bad for me and everybody involved. I'm giving this to you. It, it wasn't instantaneous, but it was sooner than I would have thought of. Retribution. God handled it. Some of you need to let go. You're not God's right hand of justice upon the earth. And... Uh, you're not special in terms of, you know, nobody, nobody should ever, you know, you, you don't need to teach them a lesson. Let God do it. Because whatever he does is going to be better than what you do. For you and them. Give it to him. Some of you have been holding a long time, and that becomes one of those things, like I was talking about earlier, you're like, okay, I'll give you all this, Lord, but not this right here. I've earned this. I've stayed mad about this a long time. I've been plotting this a long time. I'm not giving this to you. Well, you can do what you want, but you're going to live miserable, and you're going to be held back from what it is God's really made you to do. Your true potential will not be reached as long as you hold that. Give it to him today, I promise you. You've not, you've not tasted freedom like comes when you'll give something like that to God. I promise you, please, today, don't wait any longer. Give it to him. Let him have it. Let him handle it. He loves you, and he'll do better than you. Amen. Amen. May we be a people whose hearts are full of gratitude to God, knowing that every good thing comes from him. May we be a people who rejoice in the defeat of our enemies of sin and death as we live in the freedom that victory provides. And may we be a people who are thankful for all of God's character and nature because he is completely and only good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for this psalm.
This psalm that directs our hearts towards gratitude, the only proper response as we contemplate your goodness. Lord Jesus, we ask for your help today. Help us to be people whose hearts are able to be bent completely and fully in gratitude towards you. There's so many things that distract us. There's so many things that call for our attention. Um, Lord, may we be people that, that are just cauldrons of water walking around full of the living water that comes, the joy that comes in, in, in lives that are, are completely uh, enveloped in gratitude for who you are, what you've done, what you've promised to do. God, may that gratitude, may it just spill onto everybody we bump into. May we not be able to get in a conversation without some declaration of your goodness. May we join David in saying that we will declare your wonders to all. God, help us to be thankful for every part of your character. Lord, we admit that sometimes we pick our favorite parts. Sometimes we pick our favorite parts of your word. Sometimes we pick our favorite parts of just who you are and the things we understand less or the things that we maybe would go so far as to say we don't like, God. We just don't focus on those. We skip over them. But God, help us to have a firm conviction that if, if you are something, it is good. That you are loving and that is good. That you are a perfect father and that is good. That you are holy and that is good. And that you are righteous judge over all the earth and all eternity. That you've set a throne for judgment and you will deal out equitably judgment upon the earth. And you are equally good as judge as you are as father. May we rejoice in your judgment understanding that you're not some self-righteous, prideful, indignant God, but you're a judge that would take off your robe and take the punishment for the ones who committed the crime. Oh God, how could you be that good? How can you be so good and we ever, for even one second, struggle to be grateful for how wonderful you are? Help us, Jesus. We're asking for the help of your Holy Spirit. Right now, it's, we're underneath the, the anointing of your word and the, and the presence of your spirit, and it's, it seems... We are, we're so full of gratitude, and it does, it seems ridiculous to us, but God, we gotta walk out there. We gotta go out into a world with a counter message. We gotta go out into the difficulties of the storm of the week, and, and God, I'm just asking for the help of your spirit. It's not gonna be something we're just gonna be able to decide to do. We need your help to walk and live, breathe and move with this kind of all-encompassing gratitude and thankfulness in every situation. God, may it open up for us um, greater joy and greater opportunities to share with others how truly wonderful you are. You are worthy of a people that would be declaring your greatness in every situation and at all times. You're worthy of that. You are worthy of that and so much more. We love you. We ask for your help in these things. May you be glorified as it happens. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.